Turning away, Sally failed to see the expression on her mother's face. It was compounded of love and a resigned acceptance of her daughter's naivety. Josie slowly shook her head from side to side. How was it possible for a girl to be that guileless, with the war in its second year and Liverpool swarming with servicemen from all over the world? Sally was, Josie realised, still the happy-go-lucky schoolgirl of two years ago, embarrassed because her breasts bounced beneath her white blouse as she walked into assembly with other, less endowed pupils, sitting in the front row in class to facilitate her quite remarkable gift of lip-reading, accepting the teacher's notes at the end of each lesson with a dignified nod of thanks. By no means an imaginative woman, Josie Barnes could see it all. She could picture the girl Sally worked with in her job as a copy typist, chattering about their conquests, their sexual experiences and near heartbreaks. And now Sally was getting ready to go out with an airman who looked as if he'd left his youth behind him a long, long time ago. Settling Sally into a seat in the back stalls of the cinema, David Turner watched her unbutton her coat, revealing the round swell of her breasts beneath the pale lemon-knitted jumper. Her skin had a sheen on it, and by her ears a fluff of down grew. He wanted to stretch out a hand and trail a finger round and round the endearing softness. He saw her smile as the white cinema organ rose majestically into view, then clap as the audience realised the organist was home on leave, resplendent in army dress uniform. He saw the way her hands dropped to her lap when the music began, her face stilled into a touching repose. The soldier organist was working his feet from side to side on the pedals, his back swaying to the rhythm of his frenzied playing. The noise of the chords seemed to vibrate the air, chords which Sally, sitting smiling, could not hear. David knew that her deafness was almost total, a legacy from measles at the age of eight. But the great dictator was Chaplin at his best, and if any man could break through the barriers of deafness, then surely Chaplin, the little Jew from the East End of London, was that man. Mesmerized by the changing expressions on her face, David was taken completely by surprise when Sally suddenly turned to stare straight into his eyes. Look, she pointed to the sober jacketed manager climbing onto the stage. That means the sirens have gone. She squeezed David's arm. This is the bit they like best. Ladies and gentlemen, the polite opening was drowned in a roar of derision. Get on with it. Get your finger out, you soppy apeth. Let the poor bugger say his recitation. The manager, his bald head gleaming pearl white in a spotlight, held up an arm like a traffic cop. A hair-aid warning has just been sounded. If you wish to leave the cinema, please do so as quietly as possible. Those who wish to remain may do so at their own risk. Thank you. To ear-splitting whistles, he climbed down. David gently turned Sally towards him. Shall we go? What do you usually... To his dismay, he could feel his heart beginning to pound. Do you want to go? He whispered again, more urgently. Sally shook her head. No, it's okay. Nobody bothers, really. She gave his hand three little pats before facing the screen again. Clenching his fists, David subsided into his seat. His heart was going like a drum. Boom, 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 and any minute now he would have to get his handkerchief out of his pocket and mop his brow. He glanced round.
The rows of faces remained forward-fixed, like a regiment after the eye's front order, while up on the screen Chaplin's Hitler marched and ranted, the familiar moustache quivering with the passion of his words. "'Tell him he looks all right, Charlie!' somebody shouted from the back. There was a ripple of laughter, but David sat rigid, every nerve in his body alive and quivering. When he heard the guns boom out, he imagined the great flashes in the sky outside. When the first crunch of the bombs came, he winced and laced his fingers tightly beneath the greatcoat folded on his knee. Closing his eyes, he was immediately transported in his mind from the warm darkness of the cinema stalls to the darker interior of a Wellington bomber suspended in space over a German town. It felt as if he were actually there, reminding himself that the survival of his crew depended on the accuracy of his calculations. Possible survival, that was all. The odds were no greater than that.